0: This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We we'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone. This week, I'm excited to be joined on the Future of Security Operations podcast by Dmitry Sokolovsky. Dmitry is a founding member of ISC Squared Eastern Massachusetts chapter. He's over 25 years of experience in the security industry, having led teams at companies like Putnam Investments, CyberArk, and most recently, Avid. He's an ardent mentor advisor to, it seems like, a dozen successful startups, sitting on the advisory board of companies like Audience First. And yeah, he's a, an industry veteran. Dimitri, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Thomas. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the security space?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, I entered IT in general in 97 or 98, uh, and unofficially way before that, and spent about 10 years doing consulting of all kinds and IT work, general IT work, all the way from desktop support uh, and all the way to data center operations, migrations, large-scale infrastructure work at Putnam Investment, uh, for for example, network operations centers, security operations centers, and so on. And in 2007, Cyberg, if you remember that company, gave me Mm -hmm. a call. They were just uh, starting up on the US side. I was like a third PS engineer. And uh, they needed a jack of all trades that could do pretty much anything on the infrastructure IT side, Unix, Winix, Linux, whatever. And I said to myself back then, I remember thinking about it, I said, this security thing, this might be a thing. So maybe I should go into it. And I went into it for the first uh, three, four years, it was still a lot of work with technology, just sort of IT still. Implementation of cyber products, yes, but still a lot of orientation towards IT. Do not damage, you know, implement and don't hurt, et cetera, et cetera. And as we were doing that, as we were deploying and running into our first incident response uh, situations where someone gets hacked and they need to bring in to help mitigate or cover all of their privileged identities, we realized that simply being IT wasn't enough. We needed to have the security knowledge Really in depth. So mm-hmm. by 2012, I got my CISSP. That was also the time when the Eastern uh, Massachusetts IAC Square chapter was started with the uh, Bill Bowman and Christine Mazzoni. There's a lot of really really good people there, mm-hmm. and that was my I would say real real uh, theoretical introduction to security. I've dealt with it on sort of in the trenches for many years, mm-hmm. uh, but theory only came in at the CISSP level. That was when when I really understood that there is a lot more to it than just making sure the passwords and and ports are, you know, taken care yeah, of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes a, I suppose it makes a ton of sense. Can you tell me a little bit about the experience of being a solutions engineer and kind of giving advice to to companies? It's a hot, like you you transitioned from as I suppose working in industry and then like going out and how did you position yourself? Did you like always position yourself as a trusted advisor or how was the uh, how was that process? It's funny you use
1: that 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 terminology, trusted advisor. There was actually a point at CyberArk where the company as a whole made a conscious pivot and actually started using that term in their marketing mm-hmm. materials. And that was two or three years after we, as a team, understood the security was actually the core of what we're doing. And we started advising customers on security as well as cyber. We would come in and we we would discuss the security holistically. And we would yeah. say you know you have a gap here here inventory you, you don't have inventory covered we so we don't know what you have so while that's not exactly what we do or what we cover but you should and these are some of the ideas of how you can and we'll continue working on whatever we came in here to do but we strongly advise you to abc uh and in some cases we would even push back on our own implementations and in some cases we lost sales on purpose meaning We would tell the customer look we're not the best fit for you because you're still immature here here and here and it would be too damaging to start to start with us start in something else and as we talked before we started the recording that builds trust yeah that's that that builds massive amount of trust and a year or two later when they caught up we would get them back and we'd get them back at bigger deals with no questions asked, we would come in and they would simply listen and did what we told, which is a rarity in an implementation world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny. We're like we tell our tell our customers the exact same thing. There's plenty of times that Tines is, you know, an absolutely fabulous fit, but there's sometimes people will come to us and say, Hey, you know, we we think we can use you for this particular area over here. And we'll be like, mm, I mean, you could. And I, like we if you absolutely insist, we're not gonna say no, but there's other tools out here, and maybe you'd be better off going and uh going and trying those because I, you're going to get more value and you're going to see like there's other areas that you can get value out of times and you know come back and say hi but i'd go chat with these these people over here and it makes a it just makes the the relationship a lot stronger you actually build up a uh you know somebody who will trust you when you say actually you should be uh you should be purchasing this in the uh in the future so if i'm reading your i suppose your 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 career in linkedin correctly you then went to join the internal security team at cyber is that right
1: Yes. Yeah, so I spent about nine years building out the implementation services team uh, for Cyberg. Again, started like third engineer. And then by the end of it, I had 60 or so people doing the deployments. We build a massive partner ecosystem uh, with, you know, the likes of Optives and the, uh, you know, the the big four, the number of big four uh, participants there, Yeah, uh, certification and training program, uh, as you see it now, that I, I was started when I, when I was still there. Uh, and we pretty much got the team to the point where it was running itself. My participation was really in okay and final SOWs and you know documentation work and really enabling the team from training perspective, from tooling rest was a big thing, right? To make mm-hmm. sure that the engineers wouldn't be wouldn't be overused like I
0: yeah, burnt made ice.
1: myself uh, uh, you know, sort of overused myself in early years. And that was also the time when Cyborg started looking at the cloud. Right? We Mm -hmm. were, by the nature of the things we were doing, and how the the products were deployed, it was primarily on premise deployment, even cloud virtual virtualized components were not really liked for some of the more important pieces of the uh, of the environment. But cloud was not going anywhere, right? That was that was the thing that was starting to happen. And I honestly was actually starting to look around as in leaving cyber because like you know this is yeah. this this team is is good i don't i don't need to be here let me see what else i can do maybe do some more uh work with tech and cyber said wait a second what else do you want to do what else is there i said well this cloud thing looks interesting all right let's work on that <laughs> so cloud security architect uh but ironically and that now sort of that's a standard you realize that moving to the cloud isn't its own thing it's the company's expansion into the cloud, the cloud is the place where you operate in. And so it's almost inevitably, my work on the product side started to spill over into the internal infrastructure security side. And majority of the team a security team for cyber was and probably still is in Israel. Uh, and I was uh, one of the two people. And I was sort mm-hmm. of this unofficial information security officer, site officer, maybe you can, you can call it that way. So I was doing, uh, I was a, the, again, unofficial team lead for the security, uh, operations and on the U S side. And even though English is not my first language, because the rest of the team was in Israel and for them, it was even less of a first language. I ended up writing most of the policies and, uh, and, and sort of yeah. the governance and, uh, compliance components, uh, uh, for Cyber, we went through ISO uh, 27001 certification, actually recertification, and we we're on our way to uh, a SOC two um, readiness audit. When I uh, when I left the company,
0: nice. That's a lot of responsibility in a in a couple of years, especially for yeah, as the company moves into cloud as well. You obviously weren't the person making all the decisions, but how, like, how did you how did you prioritize? Like, hey, this is a, this is an area that we need to go into first. This is what we need to like. What was your approach to saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this step rather than like being overwhelmed by the by the scale of it? Like, the context here is the company is growing incredibly fast and it's pivoting like rapidly at this point.
1: It was. Um, the good news is that I was there early enough to build the level of trust where if I said, I think we should do this. this, yeah, or in some cases, or in many cases. Uh, and I gotta say sorry to my managers at the time, but they sort of got the brunt of it. I would just go and do things. I wouldn't even ask. and I would just bring it and say, this is what I've been doing. And they're like, okay, all right. well I guess that's good and we're you know got to got some uh, results there. So uh, I was told, look, we we're going into the cloud and we need to make sure it's secure. But we you know, that's all we got right now would go do something. And and I I guess it's probably because they knew that I would be that kind of person to just get that sort of general direction, like go in that direction. And then, you know, a year later, there's a city, or at least a village in that direction. Yeah. And that's how it was. So I I sort of sat down and said, Okay, well, we got to secure the cloud, how do we do that? And I just started reading Uh, Cloud Security Alliance Cloud Control Matrix, CSA, CCM was the Mm -hmm. sort of starting point for me. And I just dove into that. Um, they have the whole STAR certification or st- STAR uh, program that combines their own assessment based on the cloud control matrix together with either an ISO certification or SOC 2. And they also now have uh, directions in their various privacy areas. Um, and so I use that to build a cloud environment security standard. What, how things should be deployed in the cloud in general, how to make them secure and for all the way from the beginning, from documentation and design and planning, all the way to minute technical details, sort of as a standard. And as I was doing that, the development team was also just cutting their teeth on AWS infrastructure that they use uh, underlying it. And We 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 were doing this together. I was working on building this security framework, and they were benefiting from it. I would be bring it to them every time. I would come up with something new and say, "Hey, this is how it should be done," and they would do it because it made sense and it worked. So that's kind of for someone coming in from outside. I I get your point. It would be it would pretty like, "Wow, that's a you know cyber." It it was a already fifteen hundred people company at the time, already beating you know leader this. But for me, it felt like still a small family of about. I my badge number said forty seven when I joined, right? So yeah. so we're still like, we still remember the time when we couldn't go to Florida for kickoff, right? We were still remembering the time <laughs> of of those meetings. Um, yeah. and it it just felt, it felt like the right thing to do, and I just went and did it. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, incredibly, yeah, uh, incredibly exciting journey. So after a couple of years, you moved to Avid. Uh, where did you start in the uh, the CISO role or the VP role, or did you uh, did you take on a role and then get, move into the CISO role after a short while? Uh, a friend of mine who was
1: a CIO there at the time, he yeah. was poking me about. We went. We go back all the way to college, and he was poking me. He's like, "I need someone to do, to run security. You know, come and help yeah. me out." And I'm like, "No, I got. You know, we're doing things here. It's really interesting what we're doing." And eventually, he's like, "Look, I really need you." This is, we, we you know I need someone I can trust, and I looked at it and I said, well, maybe the CISO role. In... And he's like, do you want the title? I'm like, I guess I'll take it. So it was senior director, but CISO yep. as a association associated component. But I was the very first full time hire in the security role. How big was Abbott, and what's their?
0: Uh, can you just tell us a little bit
1: about what they do? Absolutely. Um, Avid is actually it's, a, it's an interesting company. It's uh, so first, let me tell you what we got for what we do, or did, okay and then and then I'll tell you what we did, what we did, what the company did. Um, one Grammy, two Oscars, and twenty Emmy, actually probably more Emmy awards now, and uh, four hundred or so patents in the entertainment in media industry. Starting with the very first piece of software in nineteen eighty seven on Mac two to do editing, video editing on a computer. So up until that point, nice. you were splicing tapes, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or using tape override, Like, you, you know, remember from old days, you had one tape running and a record and then multiple tapes oh. coming in to, or, to record. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not dating myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, it evolved, uh, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but the story I like to, to, to tell is half the Hollywood movies are made using media media composer, editing software or stations. Uh, half of, uh, again, again. I don't know exact numbers, but the story I like to tell is half of the uh, live music, live or recorded music production is made using various components of the hardware software from Avid. Right. Uh, sometimes you see Beyonce putting a tweet out as she's doing track uh, compilations in Pro Tools, and then someone says, oh, she's, she's pro in Pro Tools. And that's a thing, like that's an industry, uh, it, it's almost it's no longer just simple technologies now it, it has its own s- history the, mm-hmm. the tools that they use super bowls olympics uh newsroom pot newsroom production and again probably half the world from you know bbc to nbc to all of them so the customers are just the biggest media corporations in the yep. world uh and i was there as a, both the CISO for corporate security and also the cso for product security so i was I was i was wearing two hats yeah um so it and when i joined them they were about 30 years old technology company with the one product security architect and no no dedicated security personnel on the on the corporate side at all
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay wow that's a uh... Another huge, uh, another huge task. I want to. One of the things that I've heard you talk about before is, I suppose, taking, yeah, taking roles, but being comfortable with making, uh, making mistakes. Um, can you tell me about, I suppose, that the challenge of stepping into that senior role and some of the, uh, I suppose, some of the, some of the moments that you remember from, uh, you know, from starting out as a, as a CISO?
1: So early on, you you are rolling up your sleeves and you're doing the work right yeah. as you're looking to hire people you still got to keep the company secure mm-hmm. i walked in my day one i walked in on a business email compromise uh that actually was there for 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 a little bit of time i mean this is um you know not not secret information so yeah you're sort of looking at this okay well i got to stabilize the patient we have to do something the thing about chaotic environments which is what i can go into theory here but we'll leave this to class but generally companies should progress from chaotic to simple chaotic, complex, complicated, and simple mm-hmm. that progression, the, each, each big stage has its own uh, guidance on how to behave. And in a, in a situation where you are in a chaotic environment, think, um, think a stadium after a terrorist attack. It's almost like you, it doesn't matter what you do, do something, mm-hmm. do something and watch what you're doing and react to to what you're seeing. Nothing there's nothing you can do aside from nothing, doing nothing that would be worse than doing nothing, right? So you just got to do something. And I, that's what we were doing. Of course, having some idea of where you want to go with what you're doing helps, right? So it's not like you know pulling someone from the street. So business email compromise in on day 1, the very first thing to do is email protection, right? Like we're looking mm-hmm. at uh at an email protection vendor and during the initial testing since i was and i was the one doing the initial testing and we had the change control and everything but somehow i don't know exactly how i made all of company's email go into my inbox for about <laughs> for about 10 minutes <laughs> for about 10 minutes and i and i and i walked into my friend's <laughs> office you know the cio and i go I, I I did a thing. He goes. He looks at me. He goes. Well, fix it. I go. Okay. So, so I go back. Now there was a bit of a delay in settings, right? So that ten minutes was because as soon as I realized what happened, as soon as I saw that email starting popping in my inbox, I went and turned it off. But mm-hmm. it took about ten minutes yeah. to to propagate. So yeah. I'm sitting there with like seven hundred emails in my inbox, and I'm realizing that some of them are actually deal uh, um, like receipts yeah. that were supposed to go to a particular location to be recorded. And I'm starting to to sweat a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so for, that's why I went to my friend. And so for the next uh, day and a half, I was basically just forwarding those emails and chunks to people and said, Sorry, we, we did a you know a little thing here during change control to to secure the email, we we messed up a little bit. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Yeah. It's you have to uh, if you don't think that's going to happen in the wrong field. So that's number one. The mistakes are going to happen. Mistakes are a result of people doing something. In a chaotic environment, that's what you want. The important thing is how you react to mistakes. The important thing is what you do then. Mm -hmm. And you can't freeze. You can't, like that's the, again, coming back to nothing is the worst thing to do. Keep doing something, but Mm -hmm. have an eye open, sort of continue to self-assess. Is this the right thing to do? Or is this at least the likely right thing to do? do it see what happens then adjust based on the results and your initial assertion and just keep keep rolling through that progression uh until you're done in um i don't know how it is in uh european uh air forces but in us they have this uh, concept called uda loop o-o-d-a observe orient yeah, decide yeah. and ask and it's yep. a loop because as soon as you act you go back to o again it's a it's a circle act observe orient decide act observe and that's how you have to do it it's a it's a loop if you look at it from the top but if you rotate it 90 degrees it actually is a spiral moving up or down depending on what kind of decisions you're making and if you miss an o then it becomes a spiral down it becomes that spiral of doom you want it to be a spiral of success moving up.
0: I want to, yeah, like, uh, so speaking of success, I want to understand a little bit more about how you, I suppose, how you measure success. So you're starting a security program, you're coming in, you're like, you're, you're, uh, it feels like a, a quick no brainer is we should probably have some email security product here, uh, which is good. But, you know, when you're uh, orientating, observing, uh, making decisions, how are you, I suppose, measuring and communicating the ROI to uh, to other leaders in the company? Uh, return on investment,
1: ROI mm-hmm. is a very interesting term. And it is known to CISOs, or at least used to be known to CISOs and security professionals, only as a question from finance or from from senior management. And uh you were always stumped by it. What do you mean, return on investment? Right? This isn't an investment. This is this is basic protection. I actually asked this question of a of a finance VP. I said, What's your ROI? And he looked at me and goes, What do you mean? Well, I mean, you guys get salary. There's a budget, right? Like, w- w- what's the return on your investment? He goes, we're finance. There's, we're not measure our ROI. I go, well, so you're saying that you're a team that must be there for company to exist. He goes, yeah. I go, well, why isn't security treated the same way? If you mm-hmm. think about it. But I think there is ROI for the finance team. There is ROI for every team. And it's just a matter of recognizing what positive influence you have on the company and uh then recognizing that in order to figure that out you have to figure out what the company is actually gaining in general even if you weren't here because mm-hmm. if you want to measure yourself in positive things you have to find the positive things first define them figure them out measure them calculate them that's not related to you just general positive things mm-hmm. and then you can say okay well how am i impacting these positive things am i even impacting am i impacting them negatively If it's Mm -hmm. a revenue generation, if this team is trying to sell and I'm actually the one walking in saying, whoa, 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 stop. You can't do it this way. All Mm of a sudden, you're now negatively impacting. So I wouldn't be surprised that many security teams would have negative ROI. They just, Mm -hmm. because they're not understanding that, that there is this connection. So it took me probably two and a half, three years to figure out this connection. Now, my cyber days benefited me because. There, I was literally on the profit making edge. Right, the professional services team accounted for like quarter of the revenue every year, or or something like that. Yeah. So I understood the concept of profit center versus cost center, mm-hmm. but in security, everyone is always stumped by how do I, how do I translate that email security into ROI, mm-hmm. and. I have to give credit to Okta. They, uh, when I came, and this was, again, this was my second burning place at, at, at Avid after email security was was uh, identity management, uh, multi-factor authentication, and there was no budget, right? I came in, I had $100,000 or something like that, like that previous uh, VC, so that was there, that was it. And so I had no budget. I came in closer to the, end of the year, so they had to wait until the next cycle.
0: Yikes, okay. But
1: we had a problem now, and I said, okay, well, let's work this through. And Okta came in, and they back then, this was five years ago, were ready for me in 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 several ways. First of all, the uh and actually prior to Okta, I would say NetScope, because I went to NetScope first. Uh at Cyberac, we were looking at Okta as well. And at Cyberac, we went to NetScope first. We looked, we needed Casby. We didn't think about uh Okta as a component. And we came in and and Steve Glynn, I remember from, from Netscope, he said, wait a second, you, you're not ready for us. Again, another one, right? Like the trust building component said, yeah. you're not ready for us. Get like Okta or someone like that. I said, why? Said, well, well, you don't know what you have, identities, protection, like you got to know that. Okay, fine. So we switched to Okta, did Okta. And what Okta did was they came in and they said, here is a business analyst. Spent three, four hours with this person. We have this very detailed spreadsheet that goes literally minute by minute through your IT's operation." It asks you questions like, "How much do you pay per hour to different employees at different levels?" Mm-hmm. It accounts for various basic yeah, IT understand. functions and roles, and it was a seven or eight tab spreadsheet. Each tab was three hundred lines at least. It took a while, but at the end, they said, "Look, this is your ROI." Like it said, "Okay, you're saving. You would be saving sa- saving seven thousand here, fourteen hundred here, so on and so on and so on." All of a sudden, we're looking at. 300 percent roi to the cost of the solution Mm -hmm. then they go and they put it together in a presentation and then here is a deck four slide deck that you can show to your finance team i said let me try that so i got a meeting with finance team and they said oh wow this is great you have no budget but that's fine they're showing that there's a positive roi on the solution go ahead here is approval there's no budget but approval because i'm showing positive roi in four months that was the first that sort of that light bulb moment, like, wait a second, that's how you do it. It's not about security. It's not about uh, stopping attacks. It's about productivity. It's about increasing productivity. It's about simplifying your company operation and therefore saving it money, at least, right? That's the minimum that the security can participate in. And then from then on, when you start thinking this way, when you rotate yourself and you say, wait a second, how am I helping the positives? Then we started asking questions like, well, if this team is making us $10 million a year, what are we doing to enable them? Nothing. Well, that's not good. What can we do to enable them? And we start looking for those opportunities. So instead of trying to secure things and stop things from happening, we're now instead looking for opportunities to enable. We become a business function. Enabling business versus a stopping function or ministry of no, as you probably heard that before as well. Yes. Blocking people from doing things.
0: Yeah, that's a it's a, it's a, uh, an incredible answer. There's a whole lot of areas that I want to dive into. One that I will touch on in a minute or two is uh, I think there's a lot of security vendors that could use that uh, that lesson from Okta and take out that spreadsheet and go through it line by line and demonstrate ROI because that's a uh, that's a lot more effective than saying you know. You're gonna get breached tomorrow. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's tough. Terr- yeah, I but- use them as an example. I don't hide it. Like I don't take this
1: this credit. I go. This is how they've done it. And I tell everyone, do you need to have an ROI calculator? Just at the minimum ROI calculator. Now we can get into the COI cost of inaction. That's a separate subset. Yep. But I, I. But even but that still smells of fud fear yeah, and certainly yeah. doubt for me. I'd like to concentrate on the ROI more. So we talk. I mentioned revenue. My KPIs, my key performance indicators to the board, were at, at the very last last year, at least, were revenue, uh, uh, cost avoidance, and compliance, not yeah. vulnerabilities, not how many sure. machines patched. Now, how many machines we installed antivirus on or anything like that. Although we track those because we still want to know technically how we're how, how we're doing right, but that's not what needs to come up to the business to the business, we need to show that we are helping business make money. And um, I actually went back and quantified it through the years, the five years that I've been at Avid. But we were 400 to 500 ROI, 400 to 500% ROI positive every year. So if we take into account my budget, my uh, uh, residual risk, whatever's left after the treatment of various things that we were uh, finding, uh, and like insurance premiums, that's the negative. That's what companies paying every year to stay secure, to stay within the threshold of risk that they're mm-hmm. okay with. And on the other side of the scale is all that positive stuff that we're doing. How many deals did we help close? No, we didn't. Cl- we didn't take hundred percent of uh, benefit. We don't, we're not saying like if it's a million dollar deal, we don't we don't account with yeah. the whole million. But I think ten percent of of deals that we participated in, we helped close right so like if we weren't there as a team if we weren't doing what we were doing we wouldn't lose all those deals but they probably be a little less profitable a little more expensive for us from contractual perspective so 10% and my finance team again agreed with that the second thing is how does a company spend money because if you spend money badly that is also money lost right if you didn't make money that's money lost but if you overspend that's also money lost So how can we help not overspend vendor risk management process? Rings a bell for anyone, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a primary component. If you can de-risk your vendors just a little bit, again, we count that for about 10%. So if we spend a million, we say we accounted for about a hundred K of that, just Mm -hmm. small percentage. So we combine those and then we add the productivity savings. Uh, Do you know how many seconds it takes to uh, take care of a spam email? You have to look at it, read the top, and delete it. That's nine seconds on average. So 100,000 emails at nine seconds per, right? Like those are massive numbers. We accounted for right in the beginning, it was uh, 13 FTEs worth of productivity regained for the company. We count that. Why shouldn't we count that? That's Mm -hmm. money brought back to the company. When someone asks, what's your ROI? You don't just say well we didn't let you burn yeah you could say that but that's not that's again that's a fud you know you could burn without us that's not the point you want to have a security team that is enabling you making you money not just stopping
0: the worst from happening so so if you're um like if you're one of the listeners to the to, to this podcast uh you're probably more on the yeah like the the security operation side maybe it's cloud security maybe it's application security what a I suppose. what advice would you give the listeners like is it t- take more meetings that's like they they've got a whole load is this I suppose, yeah, what, what advice would you um would you say like what can they what can they do to educate themselves so i can maybe share what what we've
1: done in my on the team at avid um, yeah to get the team uh better prepped for this uh what i told what i always told my team uh was that you got to know what the strategic objectives of your company's uh, company yeah. are, and, and and you know many many companies do that. They, you know, this is our strategic objectives for the for the year, and, th- and there's never a connection from there down to the people. Yeah. So that needs to be in place. So if you are just a security, if you're a manager, that's something you can do together with the team. If you're just a regular uh, security operations engineer you need to understand what those objectives really mean in human terms, not in the big uh, uh, company uh, vernacular, but in in dollars and cents, in hours, in uh, servers. What does that actually mean? That's step number one. Step number two, whatever it is that you are doing or are being asked to do, you, not someone else, but you have to be able to explain to your parents, or a fifth grade uh, student, how what you do positively impacts those strategic objectives. That's, so this is sort of a simple one, a more complex one if you want to go further. And, and this is a, this is a pr- uh, progression. First year, you just do this. The second year, because if you've done this one year at least, now you have some correlation. The second year, you start asking a little bit more in-depth questions. What things that we do are positively impacting revenue, what things that we do are positively impacting spend, and what things that we do are positively impacting compliance. One of those three things. If there is something you do that you cannot tie to either one of those three or one of the strategic objectives for the company easily, you need to you need to rethink that. And you need to sort of be have the have the courage to bring it up within your team at least and say, look, I'm not sure what value I bring. What value do we bring? And sometimes team the whole team can might not be able to answer that. And yeah. when that happens, they're not motivated. No value is being created, really. And it's this disconnect. It's they're working in a silo over there. These are just the guards sitting at the fence. It's how they're treated and also how they feel. So if you're looking for that one piece of advice, get your day-to-day tied directly to the company's targets and goals
0: I think that's uh that's good advice for anybody not just uh not just people working in working in the security space shockingly right uh, yeah and um, so when you're thinking about I when you're thinking about your next steps but when you're thinking about like security right now uh how do you think it's gonna change in the next few years and how are you you know what, what are you planning to uh what are you excited about um well I have a
1: dream uh of this industry changing its name okay. I, I, so I, I already call it industry formerly known as cybersecurity. Uh, I think that cybersecurity or security of a of an enterprise is a byproduct, not of our work, mm-hmm. but of a push to simplify. ISO has twenty seven zero zero one standard. We are all familiar mm-hmm. with it. Um, not that long ago, they came up with a new standard thirty three thousand, the risk management standard, and in there they have a, a newer definition of risk, not threat multiplied by vulnerability, or some form of that, their definition of risk is uncertainty impacting an objective. Uncertainty. If you don't know something, then there is a risk from that. Something might happen that you're not familiar, not ready for. Now, where does uncertainty come from? Leading cause of uncertainty, not knowing, is when something is too complex. Complexity is the leading cause of uncertainty. So the leading cause of risk for an enterprise is complexity. And look what's happening with technology today. It's not becoming simpler. It's becoming more complex. Every interaction between two pieces of technology is a comp- complex uh, place. Mm-hmm. And when you when you talk about a business process, you pick any business process in the company, one of the top 10 core processes or any other, it's usually 30, 40 steps. Mm-hmm. Within that within that flow, there is maybe five, six, 10 different applications. They're all interconnected. There are things flowing back and forth. Every single step adds complexity, It's and it becomes uh, exponentially higher as you move down the path of of every business process. And there are multiple business processes in the company.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So if you can simplify any one area, you are now de-risking it. So at the end, cybersecurity should be a business complexity management function, not a cybersecurity function. If I can simplify my business enough that I will know everything, there will be no negative risk of course when you get to that point you also lose all value ironically because you know what the the uncertainty has two has two types there's risk that's negative uncertainty there's opportunity as well opportunity exactly positive uncertainty is opportunity you can't get rid of uncertainty you have to have it but you end up with this as complexity grows positive the opportunity Mm -hmm. grows but so does the risk and the cybersecurity team is there to build the floor, below which negative uncertainty won't come, won't, won't drift. That's what it's about. It's about managing business complexity, not removing it, not preventing it, but managing business complexities and helping business identify their own complexities and helping business make good risk decisions with those complexities.
0: I suppose then, if we're uh, thinking about extremely practical terms, what, what do you think a security operations team or uh, a security team will look like? Will it be like more people who know about the business? What's the like? What what will they be focused on day to day?
1: If you think about what a security operations team do do today, what do they do? They respond to alerts. What is an well, alert?
0: Yeah, they do a whole load of things, but yeah, you're you're right. They definitely it's they something definitely respond that to alerts.
1: wasn't. Yeah. It, it's it's an uncertainty manifesting itself in an event. Mm-hmm. Or uncertainty of a bad thing becoming certainty when when certain when some conditions put uh, come together. Now you have an mm-hmm. event. Now you have to figure out: is it a negative event or is it a positive event or is it a uh, or is it a benign yeah. event? If it's if it's in a if it's a negative event, it's an incident. Okay, is it an incident or is it a breach? And now you're going. What you're doing is you're removing uncertainty, but in a very surgical way. You're coming to a point where you know everything about this event. Yep. so you can judge whether it was now not it was now you're talking about the past now you're sitting there basically looking at results of an uncertainty manifesting itself after the fact for security operations unfortunately in my opinion they have to be there to do this but the one thing the security operations could be doing or in the way to do, improve the general picture is the root cause analysis the RCA mm-hmm. with very specific findings and actions. Yeah, so if you have something reoccurring, recurring, unplanned work recurring, the worst kind of work, uh, if security operations can work on that and finding what happens the most and making it their core mission to push the business to making risk decisions either to accept that this is going to continue happening because there are business reasons for this yep, or finding a way to mitigate it so they don't happen. So, security operations is that front line of uncertainty that's where uncertainty manifests itself they're the first line of defense they are unfortunately are going to be taking it in the p- sort of past tense they'll always see the results of a thing mm-hmm. where they can become a business enabler is if they can find ways to remove that uncertainty make it certain that this will happen once a week this will happen twice a week and if so do you want to agree that this is how we're going to treat it? And so now that's a business decision made to reduce that risk. That it's no longer an uncertainty. It's now a planned event. Mm-hmm. Now it's now it's an, not an outage, but a change control.
0: Yeah. And I can be comfortable with it or comfortable knowing that hey, this could happen at uh, this could exactly. happen some stage. Exactly. And um, we are almost out of time here. Can you tell us anything about your uh your plans, what your next steps are, what uh if there is anything to uh to share what you're what you're what you're excited about in the next couple of uh in the next little while. I'm I'm talking to
1: some to some companies and I'm and I'm really excited about the fact that the change is happening across many, many places. Yeah. Um I would be remiss if I didn't say a word about the situation that's happening in in Ukraine, the war that's happening Absolutely, in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh it is a manifestation of uh what we are gonna be facing across the globe. Uh, because we evolved in the way we fight. Uh, Mm -hmm. We moved up from Generation 3 warfare, which is an army against army. We moved up to Generation 4 warfare, which is an army against a guerrilla force. We're talking, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, and so on. We moved up to a Generation 5 warfare, where the warfare happens in information field primarily with the Mm -hmm. kinetic component, what's happening on the ground, heavily impacted by the information field the fact that, for example, F-16s are still not delivered or or training hasn't started is not the result of technology. It's not the result of fighting. It's a result of information. Mm -hmm. Information placement, information management, information modification, and so on. I'm excited because I see that the understanding of that is appearing high enough. Mm -hmm. The fact that SEC it's just an example, and FTC and GDP, like all of those regulations, DORA, whatever the the European component is coming out or came out. Those are indications that the governments, the people at the highest level, are finally understanding that this is a priority. Generation five warfare is here, in it's here to stay, and we, as you know, this West, the the Western way of life, the it's it's it's, the, it's this combine, you know, democracy and capitalism together. This world. Has to react and has to start thinking differently. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where what I was talking about from our eye perspective gets to marry that. They understand that it needs to happen, but also living in a capitalistic world, we need to make sure that it's profitable mm-hmm. and we can. And so I'm excited to see how these two things will be coming together, both in Ukraine after the war and all over the world mm-hmm. from now and into the next 20, 30, 50 years, um, how this is going to evolve. AI as it's happening now is this whole other thing that can help both help and 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 cause issues. But I think that with this understanding, we can be much better equipped to use it for good more than than for for bad.
0: Unfortunately, we are out of time. But Dimitri, this has been a, a pleasure. And um, if people want to follow your journey, what's the best way to do it?
1: Just find me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I'm starting to get back into the groove of things and posting again. Uh, it took some time now that, the, uh, you know, on the exit uh, for from Avid, um, but just fi- follow me on LinkedIn.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on, and I hope we have you on again at some stage in the future. Thanks for Anytime. joining us. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tines.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tines Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tines.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.